Chapter 27 of Snarled Identities. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Snarled Identities by Nicholas Carter. Chapter 27 Gordon Makes His Getaway. As it happened, Jack Cray's skull was a pretty tough one, and therefore the criminal's first blow, vicious as it was, did not end matters. It badly dazed the ex-police detective, making him totter and throw out his hands instinctively, but the attack was so extraordinary, coming, as he believed, from Nick Carter, that he fought with all his might to retain his senses long enough to see what it meant. "'Mr. Carter!' he muttered, then, lurching forward, peered at his assailant. The act took Gordon by surprise. He had been prepared to strike again, but his blow missed its mark and struck Cray on the shoulder. "'Curse you!' Green Eye snarled, raising the weapon a third time. Take that, then! But Cray seized him in a clumsy, though powerful grasp, and, with blinking eyes, peered into his face at close range. A moment later, Gordon wrenched himself loose, but the emergency seemed to have made Cray's brain act with more than its customary speed. Despite the poor light, Jack had got a near and clear view of that distorted face and those rage-filled greenish eyes. Had he had been his normal self, he probably would have disbelieved the evidence of his own senses, for he would have recalled the seemingly conclusive reports of Gordon's death. As it was, however, he recalled nothing of this at the time, and only remembered the peculiarity which had given Ernest Gordon his nickname. "'Good heavens! Green-Eye Gordon!' he whispered. A second later, the criminal's third blow fell squarely on his forehead, and he went down without a groan. Immediately, Green-Eye bent over him and switched on his flashlight. "'Curse you! Curse you!' he reiterated wildly striking Cray's unprotected head again and again, apparently with all of his might. He had no definite intention of killing the detective, but he was seeing red just then and he did not care in the least how hard he struck. As a matter of fact, he was inclined to believe that he had murdered his victim, and he actually hoped that he had, for Cray's recognition of him had enraged him beyond measure. On the other hand, that sort of thing had never been in his line. He had prided himself on his ability to succeed without resorting to such extremes, and for that reason, he shrank from any attempt to ascertain definitely whether Jack Cray were living or dead. Besides, he was naturally impatient to be off with the gold, and away from this place where he had momentarily forgotten himself. Accordingly, he rose from his knees, and without another glance at the unconscious man, and, pocketing his weapon, returned to the door of the garage. The prisoner could not have seen what took place, but, as the attack had occurred just at the corner of the little building, and within a few feet of the door, it was quite possible that he had heard enough to reconstruct the whole scene, despite the remarkable quietness which had prevailed. That, however, could not be helped, and as Gordon planned to lock the absconding treasure in the garage, he did not anticipate any immediate trouble from that direction. Moreover, Cray had, so to speak, introduced himself and his companion to Simpson, speaking of Gordon as Nick Carter, of course. That promised to furnish the basis of a nice mystery. Green Eye found the prisoner almost fainting with terror, and finished the work already begun, by fastening him in such a way that he could not bulge from his place, or make any noise to amount to anything. "'This will have to be yourself for the present, Simpson,' he informed the trembling thief. "'Don't worry, though. You'll find yourself a real one before long.' And he turned his back on the wretched man and stalked out, pushing the door and locking it behind him. Cray remained to be disposed of, but Gordon had not forgotten that fact. He had no intention of placing the two men in the garage, for he had considered that unwise, on general principles. If Cray were dead, as he believed, the presence of the body might drive Simpson to extraordinary exertions, 
and thus bring about a premature discovery. On the other hand, if Jack were still alive, the two men might find means of communicating with or helping each other. What then? Naturally, it occurred to the criminal that it might be well to bundle Cray into the car and carry him for some distance from the scene of the affair before attempting to dispose of the body. A moment's thought caused him to veto that plan, however. The car was not overlarge, and if Cray's bulk were added to that of the two gold-laden suitcases, the interior of the electric machine would be overcrowded. Furthermore, the upholstery was rather light in hue, and Gordon was afraid of bloodstains. On the whole, however, he decided to leave his victim in the yard, but to conceal him as well as he could. To that end, he dragged Jack's inert from around the corner of the garage to a point close beside the lumber pile. Then, very quietly, he began removing boards from the top of the pile and placing them in another and narrower pile just on the other side of the body. When he had raised this smaller pile to the required height, he began placing more boards in such a way that each one projected an inch or so beyond the one below it, thus forming a sort of arch over Cray's outstretched form, a one-sided arch that soon touched the original pile of lumber and leaned against it more or less securely. There, Green Eye muttered, now he can't be seen from the house or the road here at the back. The ends are open, to be sure, but I can't help that. I haven't anything here to cover the openings. All I ask, though, is a start of a few hours, and that I shall certainly have. As best he could, he obliterated the track he had left in dragging Cray to the lumber pile, after which he climbed into the machine, disposed of the precious suitcases to the best advantage, and touched the starting lever. He had not yet turned on the lights of the car, but the hours he had spent in the gloom had thoroughly accustomed his eyes to the darkness, and, therefore, he had no trouble in guiding the easily controlled car out through the gate and into the road beyond. There he brought it to a stop, and, returning hastily, obliterated the tire marks in front of the garage and such of his own footprints as he could find. He did not wish to use his flashlight too much, however, therefore it is quite possible that the job was not a very thorough one. Finally, he passed through the gate, closed it, and re-entered the car which quietly purred away into the night. Green-Eye Gordon's extraordinary daring had put him into possession of a fortune of close to $75,000, at least, as well as a bundle of papers which might yield him several times that amount. He had robbed a thief and left the latter an unofficial prisoner, doomed to starvation in all probability if he were not soon found. And he had murderously assaulted Jack Cray and left him, a battered and bleeding hulk, supposedly dead. It was quite a day's work, and Green-Eye Gordon may be excused for feeling considerably elated. His work was full of holes, however, and far from detection-proof, as Nick Carter could have proved to him in short order. The question was, would Nick have the chance in time to avoid a chase around the world? End of chapter 27